0: Hello everyone and welcome to the October 24th edition of War Comp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folson, attorney with Floyd, Skern & Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal provided new guidance on the privacy rights that attach to medical records of injured workers. Here's what happened in the unpublished case of the Association for Los Angeles Deputy Sheriffs versus the County of Los Angeles. A Los Angeles County Sheriff's deputy, identified in the litigation as John Doe, filed a complaint against the County of Los Angeles, alleging that the employer unlawfully accessed his medical information, and later discriminated and retaliated against him for asserting his right to keep that information confidential. The injured worker has been a sheriff's deputy since 1997. In 2009, he suffered a work-related injury to his back for which a physician prescribed narcotic pain medication. The deputy became physically dependent on the medication for which he entered a drug dependency treatment program. He received workers' compensation benefits for both the back injury and his dependency. He completed the drug dependency program successfully and was released to return to full-duty unrestricted work. He worked full-time as the deputy sheriff until February 2012, when he had back surgery and took a leave of absence until July 2012. But in May 2012, while on leave, he filled several prescriptions that he obtained from different physicians for pain medications. The county's workers' compensation administrator noticed that the number of prescriptions was unusual and informed the sheriff's department about the prescriptions. When confronted, the deputy stated that he had decided to quit taking the medication and destroyed the remaining pills, and the last time he took narcotic pain medication was in June 2012. The deputy worked full-time without restrictions or problems for the next year. The sheriff's department nevertheless placed him on performance mentoring program. He was required to attend quarterly performance reviews and submit to drug tests, which he passed. In December 2012, someone in the Sheriff's Department accessed the deputy's records within the county's prescription medication drug database without his authorization to see what medications he had been prescribed. Later, five supervisors attempted to get him to authorize access to his prescription information, telling him that it would, quote, save his job, end quote. And three sheriff's department officers asked him to voluntarily submit to a psychological fitness for duty evaluation, knowing this would require him to sign medical record authorizations. The sheriff declined both requests, but later he was ordered to engage in a fitness for duty psychological reevaluation. He therefore consented to the evaluation but refused to authorize the release of his medical records. So, the psychologist was unable to conduct the evaluation. The next day, he was ordered to take a medical leave of absence, and he complied, even though he was ready, willing, and able to perform his duties. He has been on leave of absence ever since that time. So, the deputy filed a civil complaint against the county alleging nine causes of action involving invasion of privacy and retaliation. The defendants filed a special motion to strike the complaint, commonly referred to as an anti-slap motion. And the trial court granted the anti-slap motion and dismissed the case and awarded over $10,000 in attorney fees to the county. But the Court of Appeal reversed. Resolving an anti-slap motion involves a two-part inquiry. First, The defendants must make a prima facie showing that the challenged cause of action arises from activity protected by the anti-slap statute. If it is protected, the burden then shifts to the plaintiffs to make a prima facie showing of facts demonstrating a probability of prevailing on their claim. Here, the Court of Appeal determined that the plaintiffs' causes of actions do not arise from activity protected under the anti-slap statute. The trial court erred in granting defendants special motion to strike the complaint and in awarding defendants their attorney fees. The order granting the defendants special motion to strike the complaint and the award of attorney fees were reversed, and this case will proceed. And in regulatory news, the California Department of Insurance notified all workers' compensation insurers writing policies in California of the changes to definitions of and procedures relating to excluded employees because of newly adopted Assembly Bill 2883. Starting this January, all business workers' compensation insurance policies, including in-force policies, will be required to cover certain officers and directors of private corporations and working members of partnerships and limited liability companies. These persons may have been previously excluded from coverage. According to the legislative analysis that accompanied the bill, current law has resulted in abuses. And one proponent of the new law provided an example where an insurer found a company trying to exclude the vice president of dishwashing. In another example, a company provided coverage for all of their employees, but During the post-audit conducted by the insurer, the company retroactively declared that several employees with a tiny ownership share were exempt under the corporate officer statute and demanded a premium refund. Their proponents argue that the new law addresses these issues by removing the uncertainty found in existing law by clearly defining what constitutes an eligible employee for a policy exclusion. The Association of California Insurance Companies, one of the supporters of the bill, argued that this lack of clarity in the existing law has led to abuses that have hurt injured workers and driven fraudulent activity. To resolve this abuse, the new law creates an explicit process through which an officer or member of a board of directors or working members of a partnership or LLC may elect to be excluded from a workers' compensation policy. An officer or member of the board of directors can opt out of a workers' compensation policy if he or she owns at least 15% of the issued and outstanding stock of the corporation and and executes a written waiver of rights to coverage stating under penalty of perjury that the person is a qualifying officer or director. A general partner of a partnership or a managing member of a limited liability company can similarly opt out. But the California Department of Insurance says that AB 2883 is going to cause significant disruption for workers' compensation insurers and employers. Thus, it issued a notice to workers' compensation insurers so that they know what the new law requires of them. Insurers are directed to provide notice to employers so they are made aware of the new law. Unfortunately, AB 2883 did not include any language exempting in-force policies or delaying its effective date so as not to impact enforced policies. Officials agree that this change in law applies to enforced policies. Insurance companies are required to identify and provide notice to each employer that may have employees that were previously excluded from coverage and are affected by the new law. Insurers are also required to determine and report the premium and loss experience associated of those who have not chosen to opt out of the coverage. The California Department of Insurance moved to stop a Central Valley company from selling workers' compensation and liability policies. It claims they are not properly registered with the Department of Insurance, which means those insured through the company may not have valid insurance coverage. In the cease and desist order, the Department alleges Agricultural Contracting Services Association, doing business as, American Labor Alliance and its affiliate Comp1USA are selling what the company claims are valid workers' compensation policies. But in fact, the department's investigation division found the company is not properly registered with the regulator and is allegedly transacting insurance without proper authority. The insurance code authorizes the insurance commissioner to issue a cease and desist order to a person who has acted in a capacity for which a license, registration, permit, or certificate of authority from the insurance commissioner was required but not possessed. And the insurance commissioner says that employers who purchased insurance from American Labor Alliance are likely at great financial risk. The California Department of Insurance claims that American Labor Alliance attracted customers by marketing low workers' compensation premium rates, but the end result is employers holding worthless pieces of paper as the policies are not valid. American Labor Alliance has requested an administrative hearing before an administrative law judge. The hearing is not yet scheduled. Defiance of the department's cease and desist order will result in fines up to $5,000 per day for each day they do not comply. The California Workers' Compensation Official Medical Fee Schedule is based upon a pay-for-procedure model. This encourages medical professionals to provide as many procedures as possible to increase income. The next evolution of payment for medical services, however, is known as pay for performance. Under this new model, medical professionals will be paid more money for better outcomes rather than for more procedures that have little or no effect on the outcome. Changing the way it does business, Medicare unveiled a far-reaching overhaul of how it pays doctors and other clinicians consistent with the pay for performance model. The goal is to reward quality, penalize per performance, and avoid paying piecemeal for services. Whether it succeeds or fails, it's one of the biggest changes in Medicare's 50-year history. The complex regulation is nearly 2,400 pages long and will take years to fully implement. It's meant to carry out bipartisan legislation passed by Congress and signed by President Barack Obama last year but the details have been a concern for some clinicians who worry that the new system will force small practices and old-fashioned solo doctors to join big groups. Patients may soon start hearing about the changes from their physicians, but it's still too early to identify the impacts. Officials said they considered more than 4,000 formal comments and held meetings around the country attended by more than 100,000 people before issuing the final rules. The American Medical Association said its first look suggested that the administration has been responsive to many concerns that doctors raised. And in Congress, staffers were poring over the details. The changes affect more than 600,000 doctors, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, and therapists. Starting in 2019, clinicians can earn higher reimbursements if they learn new ways of doing business, joining a leading-edge track that's called Alternative Payment Models. That involves being willing to accept financial risk and reward for performance, reporting quality measures to the government, and using electronic medical records. The California Insurance Commissioner issued a decision regarding the WCIRB's January 1, 2017 regulatory filing after a public comment period that ended in September. The Commissioner approved all of the WCIRB's proposed changes with one exception. The exception was a number of clarifying changes to some classifications that were not approved due to a pending appeal before the Department of Insurance Administrative Hearing Bureau. The amendments would define first aid claims and require that they be included in insurer reporting. First aid claims have been a long-standing concern because some insurers do not report first aid claims. The current regulations do not specifically mention first aid claims. Thus, some insurers have interpreted the regulations to mean that they need not report medical payments for first aid claims. The confusion may stem from the fact that first aid claims are treated differently than indemnity claims under the Labor Code and the workers' compensation system. According to the California Department of Insurance, it gives their policyholders an unfair advantage in the market. The amendments clarify the existing obligations to report all claims and will enhance the WCIRB's ability to properly account for first aid claims when determining appropriate statewide experience modifications. The WCIRB has prepared the 2017 Quick Reference Guide summarizing the approved changes to the Commissioner's regulations. This decision pertains only to the WCIRB's regulatory filing and does not include amendments to advisory pure premium rates. Changes to advisory pure premium rates were proposed in the WCIRB's amended January 1, 2017 pure premium rate filing submitted on October 3rd and is still under consideration. And in medical news, physicians treating in the California Workers' Compensation System are required to follow the evidence-based recommendations in the DWC Medical Treatment Utilization Schedule, known as the MTUS. To help physicians understand the guidelines, the Division of Workers' Compensation has launched a free online education course for physicians. This online one hour course is for treating physicians, qualified medical examiners, physician reviewers, other health care providers, as well as anyone else interested in learning how to use the MTUS. This is the first entry in a planned series of educational models, modules developed for medical doctors, chiropractors, and nurses. The MTUS is the primary source of guidance for treating physicians and physician reviewers for the evaluation and treatment of injured workers. All medical providers who treat injured California workers are required to understand and follow the MTUS. The module is available on the DWC website and will be available by mobile app very soon. Medical doctors, chiropractors, and nurses who take the course will receive one hour of free CME credit. Qualified medical evaluators may report up to one hour of credit for a QME reappointment. Access to the Physician Education module can be found on the DWC website. The Wall Street Journal reports that finalized rates for big health insurance plans around the country show the magnitude of the challenge facing the Obama administration as it seeks to stabilize the insurance market under the Affordable Care Act and its remaining weeks in office. Market leaders that are continuing to sell coverage have been granted average premium increases of 30% or more in Alabama, Delaware, Hawaii, Kansas, Mississippi, and Texas. In states including Arizona, Illinois, Montana, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, and Tennessee, the approved rate of increases for the market leader tops 50%. In New Mexico, the Blue Cross Blue Shield plan has been allowed to increase rates 93% over their 2015 level. The Obama administration has characterized the year as one of transition, in part because insurers priced aggressively low in the opening enrollment periods for coverage under the law, and has pledged new efforts to encourage healthier people to sign up. The senior vice president of the Office of Policy and Representation for the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association said, The situation is very serious. House Speaker Paul Ryan said the insurance markets are already in a death spiral. A number of popular plans have folded, such as the cooperative startups funded by the law, sparking an exodus of their members onto the remaining insurers. The danger for insurers and supporters of the law now is that high prices and limited choices further deter low-risk people from signing up, and that the increases continue and become irreversible. And that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkCop Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Folson, an attorney with Floyd, Skern & Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.